Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard, at Peter Howdy on Twitter. I write for Dynasty League Football, DLF.com, and yeah, this is a DLF podcast, family of pod, something like that. Um, yeah, how you doing? So, I'm like four days late. <laughs> Not that anyone would know, because obviously you don't listen. It's really just me screaming into the void at this point. So, you know what? I can keep me on schedule, and if I just showed up about it, I doubt anyone would have noticed. But there it is. So, this podcast, this episode of this podcast, we're a dynasty podcast, and every podcast right now is mostly talking about buy, sells, holds, redraft, and dynasty. Um, and it's going to get. Dynasty's heating up. The closer we get to the end of the season, the more dynasty content we really start being interested in, really start pushing out. Um, I want to talk to you about the Ballad of Charles Johnson, who you may remember, or you should, because a lot of you, if you were playing back in 2015, spent some pretty significant draft capital on him. Um, And that's the angle I want to take and buy his sells and holds. Um, Apart from one note that we discovered on stream on Monday, um, my stream on Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, I think it's called. Anyway, um, we were looking over draft values and potential buys and sells and, you know, the usual stuff, just chatting away. And we found that Adam Thielen is currently valued at, like, wide receiver 33 because you all suck uh, and you just keep on right on sucking and you just won't stop it. So, you know, just stop it. Wide receiver 33, according to the DLF trade calculator, is valued at around mid to late third round pick if we go point to point it's around that value and so I'd like you to keep that in mind while I talk about the ballad of Charles Johnson and who exactly a late first round pick buys you at wide receiver or doesn't buy you at wide receiver because that sucks anyway moving on so in 2014 the last time we saw a draft class anywhere near the quality of 2020 and it's it's an easy direct comparison and it's going to become very boring to compare 2020 to 2014 pretty soon especially since i called 2018 the best class since 2014 back when and it hasn't really worked out that way (laughs) but i still stand strong by it. in terms of profiles that was the most like 2014 that we've seen since then or before then actually But 2020 is clearly the class that lives up to the expectation that comparing a class to 2014 does. So, I was looking at 2014 again, and more interestingly, um, or more more specifically, I'm looking at 2015 and what really happened with them. Because I keep pummeling you all with expectations and what we can assume and what we can know and move on from there based on how much we like a player, reading into it. The situation, reading into what we saw of the player, if you're one of those heathens who likes to watch football games or something, 
um, or whatever else, but know what's reasonable to expect, who's under and over those lines, and where to draw those lines. Things like target share, things like yards per team pass attempt, things that are sticky and predictive and actually suggest what a player might be moving forward instead of just, wow, this guy's counting stats compare really, really highly if I just line them up next to each other and ignore the fact that they're 150 yards apart. They look really similar when you only post those two numbers. Yay. So instead, we go for stuff that actually might or actually does tell us something, if not the whole story, but then be aware of the fact of how much of the story we can know. I've talked repeatedly about how much of what's going to happen next is actually predictable, how much through statistics or film watching or whatever your process is, we can actually know. And the rest is putting together the best story in your mind that we can. So, 2015. The 2014 draft class just happened. We're all really happy and expecting wide receivers to continue to be just this good like we always do. Now, the thing about wide receiver breakouts is they do actually sustain production like in all manners compared to the running back position. So the recent rush of great running backs should have ended sooner than the new rush of great wide receivers should end, especially with being backed up with a plethora of new young quarterbacks to back them up and help supply at least average level play on their team. So, that is okay. I was talking about it with Zach Reed a few podcasts ago, and he expects it to continue this uh, this increase in receiving volume and production from the receiving position for a little while. And I was a little hesitant, but running back through the numbers, he's a little more on par. He's a little more on the ball there, because we should expect wide receivers to do a little more greatness after they're great, um, and, and change the NFL a little bit more. Then a running back breakout did, as we literally are experiencing right now in 2020. So, 2015, we're all excited about 2014 wide receivers. The draft order that we took them in, the following year, according to DLF ADP, ignoring the rounds they were drafted in for a second, because, um, you know, we, we pushed them up too high in some instances, as we did with running backs, to be fair. We were prone to a little bit of overreaction, which is not a bad thing. You've got to find the, the reacting enough Nice, comfortable gray zone, right? Um, but anyway, we drafted them in the order of Odo Becker, Mike Evans, Brandon Cooks, then Jeremy Hill, because I forgot to fill out running backs, Sammy Watkins, Jordan Matthews, Alan Robinson, Kelvin Benjamin, Martavius Bryant, then Devontae Adams, then Jarvis Landry. So the thing to note right there, well, one of the things to note, especially in the wake of Devontae Adams becoming the wide receiver one in Dynasty, because he is... And that's an opinion. I shouldn't say that as a fact on a show I'm trying to produce mostly facts. But he clearly is. Okay, stop it. Stop it with the new shiny thing. Devontae Adams is who I perceive one. Or in my ranks he is. Anyway, but Devontae Adams had a pretty poor, despite having decent draft capital and a good college production, production in year one. He actually ranked, according to that sophomore projection model I came out, was just to evaluate rookie seasons to rookie seasons through yards per team attempt and target share, he came out in around the 80th in like over 500 rookies since 2009. So it wasn't a bad rookie season, but it felt bad, especially in the 2014 class. And we pushed him behind a significant number of players from that same class, including ones like Matavius Bryant, which is more a flash in the pan, but I do remember 2014. I remember how good it felt to experience when Martavius Bryant was good. So, not throwing shade there. Kelvin Benjamin, who did have, I think, a better rookie season, not judged by my model, but based on experience and looking at thresholds, it's easy to understand 
how people got too excited for Calvin Benjamin, but also that Alan Robinson is below the likes of Jordan Matthews, Sammy Watkins, and Brandon Cooks. Now, all of those players had, to different levels and different degrees, good fantasy careers. It turns out they were all good. Sammy Watkins is still in the league and can put up 20 points in any individual week, but he was held up, mostly not by his rookie season production, which was actually pretty terrible, but by our expectations pre-draft, which is what I'm always harping on that I continually do. I, I stand by rookie profiles. So that in that case, it's a miss, but we were able to elevate Mike Evans and Odo Beckham above that line. And even Brandon Cooks has had a more sustained, more productive career than the rest. But notice that Landry and Adams, two of the easily most consistent and highest production, no matter how you want to look at it, after the 2014 season, dropped all the way to the bottom of a new rookie round, as it were. And in the middle of there, we saw a lot of high hope, low production year one players. Now, Pretavious Bryant wasn't a low production, but he was spotty and didn't quite meet the thresholds. As I talked about and have talked about a lot in different episodes, but it was like five, six episodes ago, I outlined expectations for rookies based on draft round. So you can do that or look at any of my databases which are available publicly to re-up on what they are. Either way, note that we got it drastically wrong, despite lots of these players doing well because they did well in their first year, which is very indicative that they should continue to do well, apart from from Kelvin Benjamin. If they're that bad in college, don't bet on it is, I guess the rule here. Anyway, um, and again, I think most people would say now Devontae Adams was the best wide receiver to come out of that class, but he was easily someone we lowered in our expectations after his rookie season. Despite missing some interest, despite hitting some interesting thresholds, he was just swarmed by players who exceeded thresholds. So where does Charles Johnson come in? Well, Charles Johnson comes in, if you remember him, as a seventh-round rookie pick for Green Bay, interestingly enough, who ended up in Minnesota. Um, Now, in 2014, he actually sustained interesting levels of production to the point that we drafted him in 2015 um, as a top-12 rookie. So in 2014, I know, drafted originally by Green Bay, if memory serves, and ends up on the back of the Minnesota depth chart, he actually sustained a 12% target share and 8 0.5-ish expected points per game, talking about overall volume, and actually pretty much met that expectation with 8.8 points per game. He actually showed up in some different weeks. He didn't play a full season, played about 11 games, but he was interesting, especially as a seventh-round pick. Personally, I'm desperate for a seventh-round pick to break out because none ever has, and it would just be nice not to have a zero in that column, and when we've had a sixth round pick hit with Antonio Brown, and a few fourths, and a few fifths, but the seventh round is, you know, famed in my head for literally producing no good fantasy wide receivers, despite a few being fairly interesting, I had a lot of hope for, and I'm going off on a tangent here, so I'm going to back up, but most of them don't, so I I was pretty interested in Charles Johnson for that reason. Now, interestingly enough, he played at a school... uh, if memory serves, Grand Valley State or something like that, which isn't even listed on Sports Football Reference, where I get all my college data from, we drag it from there, and to actually evaluate. So I didn't know his breakout age, I didn't know anything else about him, I just know he sustained a 12% target share, which is definitely over the threshold for a wide receiver drafted in that round, showed up in some interesting games and seemed to play fairly well. And so when we turn back to DLF ADP and look back instead um, at 2015 and how we redrafted them in startup ADP, 
Odell Beckham manages to move to the top. Mike Evans, who had a pretty good rookie season, but not as fantasy relevant for redraft that year, and apart from, I think, towards the end of the season, if memory serves, and moved up into the second place. Then it was Brandon Cook, Sammy Watkins, Jordan Matthews, who I'd still argue should have been ahead of Cooks, but still, and Alan Robinson. But you notice that list is a lot better than our rookie list. However, we still held Devontae Adams, below Martavius Bryant, Kelvin Benjamin, Landry stays towards the bottom, but... Coming in at 11 is Charles Johnson, this interesting rookie player in Minnesota that was drafted low, but showed up interestingly, especially compared to thresholds for his draft round. So it's actually a fairly interesting bet. So I want to bring up Charles Johnson for a lot of different reasons. One, it's just nice, you know, memories. I remember liking Charles Johnson. I remember other people liking Charles Johnson. And it was a fun, exciting time for me. John Brown was 12th, by the way, in that second year rookie ADP. Um, or startup ADP for rookies. I couldn't make DLF database, which I dragged directly from Dynasty League Football. And that seems low, but also warranted, uh, considering some of the down years his career has had. Not that we could predict cyclical, sickle cell anemia or what it would do to him um, through a few years there. But especially this year where he's doing well again, I thought I'd just throw that out there. We did fairly well, but the ranking order is still off compared to how it feels a few years down the line. But we did do better after adjusting our expectations for what they did in the rookie season. Now remember, this is a collective. This isn't them a whole bunch of people looking at what I say to look at. This is just our overall experience of fantasy football and how we adjusted to that those great rookie seasons. And I think we did fairly well, but the ranking's still off. We would still change it. Even in that year, our experience of how well we did was different. And looking at it back from 2020... Hopefully you recognize now, um, and I, re I certainly have come to recognize that we made some mistakes that hopefully we can learn from. The 2015 rookie class, that same year that we had just just, just did all those players in our ADP startup um, order, I think we also had a, an adverse respect uh, effect on and I think this is partly influenced by Charles Johnson, or I'm going to continue to frame this in the ballad of Charles Johnson. So um, the rookies that came in for 2015, with all our expectations now for rookie wide receivers elevated, and this lasted for at least two years, and to some extent still exists for rookie wide receivers, especially considering our addiction to draft capital. But in 2015, we drafted rookie wide receivers in the order of Amari Cooper, Kevin White, Devontae Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Brashard Perryman, Doriel Greenbeckham, and that's it. That's all the players we took through the first 12 picks according to DLF ADP. However, they were strikingly elevated. Amari Cooper's definitely worked out, and he had one of the top five rookie seasons of all time according to that model I was just talking about. Um, but we drafted him over Todd Gurley. Now, it might be somewhat hard to remember now, but through the first two years, that stunk. That was not a good idea. Now it is in 2020, because Amari Cooper is great. He had a great rookie season. He had one of the best rookie seasons we've literally ever seen, even though he's never been Calvin Johnson, obviously. Uh, and he's still a great player, who people are now down on for reasons. Yeah, he's on a buy list. He should be on a lot of buy lists, in my opinion. But still, moving on. And we also elevated Kevin White, despite being a low-production player in college. He did transfer conferences in order to get his breakout, and I had some interest in him. But we elevated him just behind Melvin Gordon and ahead of all the running backs. Now, luckily in 2015, m most of the running backs stunk, except for Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley. And so we got saved by a pretty poor draft class in 2015, and we did get Amari Cooper right. But we have lots of players being elevated above here um, in our rookie rankings. And it's just a note of caution that at the end, mid to late 
first round picks in 2015 after the last time we had a historic wide receiver class netted you Amir Abdullah, Brashad Perryman, Doriel Greenbeckham, Tevin Coleman and Duke Johnson. Just just a call back to the start of the episode there. That That's what you might be trading for. Just saying. Anyway, so how does Charles Johnson comes into this? Is Was Charles Johnson a bad top 11 sophomore wide receiver pick in 2015? I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, I think he did really well in his rookie year. Um, I, I think he was low drafted, but he sh- he he definitely impressed based on his draft capital for what he did in his rookie season. And I definitely think it was fair to elevate him into the top twelve that year. So what happened? What happened if not that that he was actually bad and Minnesota moved on? Well, in two thousand fifteen, they also drafted Stefan Diggs. And then they drafted Laquan Treadwell first overall because they hated Stefan Diggs and a little-known wide receiver called Adam Thielen being undrafted to the team that same year in 2015. He's actually, in 2015, when we look at the Minnesota depth chart, it's actually uh, Adam Thielen that ekes out um, Charles Johnson for the fourth-highest um, target share player on the team. He gets 4%. Charles Johnson gets like 3% of the target share. Um, and that's where his decline starts to happen in his second year. Both of them actually lost out to Jarius Wright, who I do remember a little bit of interest in, frankly, for those reasons and other reasons. He had about 11% target share, somewhat similar to what Charles Johnson had in 2015. And I think he was a little speedy, a little fast guy, and there was always someone who's going to like that guy. Either way, um, that year they also, I think they signed or traded for, I can't remember quite which it was, Mike Wallace, who came onto the team as a veteran presence. Stefan Diggs just annihilated all of them, and sucking up 19%, only 19%, but still pretty interesting for a fourth-round pick. It was rookie season, um, and like a 10 points per game in expected points and 11 points per game in actual fantasy points and PPR scoring. So Stefan Diggs showed up really early, really quickly, proving, you know, me and other nerds right about our draft models for that different draft class. But Adam Thielen, again, joins that team in that same year, and plus a veteran signing of Mike Wallace, and Charles Johnson just falls to nothing. He's got 3% of targets. Um, uh, where's his yards per team pass attempt? He falls to almost nothing in terms of that blend of efficiency and production, which is yards per team pass attempts per, per game is actually how I'm calculating it at this point, but still, um, at 0.37. And the following year, well, we know what happens. They draft Laquan Treadmore, who sucks, and the undrafted free agent and fourth-round pick Stefan Diggs just become top 24 wide receivers and then become top 12 wide receivers because they're better. So... Mostly what I've done when I looked at this story and was looking at it in time was talk about how Minnesota was basically drafting a third-round wide receiver who was underproductive in college like Laquan Treadwell as proof that the teams hate low-drafted players. Even when they're good, even when they get them cheaper, they're always trying to replace them with higher-drafted players because they they suck too, basically. That's the reason. But I don't know that tells us Charles Johnson was bad. He did one of the few things even great rookie wide receivers, especially low drafted, ever do, which is cross a significant target share threshold and efficiency threshold in their rookie seasons. After that, he gets Stefan Diggs, he gets Adam Thielen, and they even bring in Mike Wallace and Noquan Treble, who was never nothing, and to 
help encourage a lack of potential opportunity for him to create or earn or however you like to think about an opportunity. You th- should think about it as being created by the player. But still, like, I don't know that proves he's bad. He really never gets a shot again. I think he plays one more year in Minnesota. And I hope he is somewhere in the league right now. But I kind of doubt it. On a practice squad somewhere, maybe. I, I, I actually don't think he's an active NFL player at this point, but I'd be happy to find out different. Why is that relevant? Because, especially this offseason, and especially me, right? It, it's it, it's a me problem. I'm going to be arguing uh, consistently for the Charles Johnsons of the world, right? I like low-drafted players. More importantly, I love players who show up to be more productive than expected and more productive than most players are before they go on to being fantasy relevant or fantasy good or fantasy great or whatever the level is. That's the first stop. One, I like you have a good college profile, but NFL stats are being more productive than expected. In the actual NFL, especially in your rookie season, especially if you've got no draft capital, so there's no incentive for a team to do it, that's the signal I'm looking for. It doesn't work out great because Charles Johnson, but also... It kind of works out great because Charles Johnson. We notice players who are able to do more than they should have. And hopefully they don't get Stefan Diggs, Diggs, or Adam Thielen. All right, so who's that applying to in 2020? And I've talked about this on stream a few different times. I'm still in on Jalen Rhaegar. This, that's the Devontae Adams rule. They cross the threshold of having good rookie seasons. It just doesn't really feel it when you're looking at Justin Jefferson, who now has the best rookie season, based on how I'm measuring it, to have ever happened, especially since 2009. But I'm pretty sure that's going to be true no matter how far you want to push it back. So, in 2020, wide receivers I'm now in on, but weren't before, because that can happen. I'm a reasonable man. Brandon Ayuk, that's basically it. Wide receivers I'm still really high on, and perhaps, and definitely even higher. Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Denzel Mims. He actually jumps into that category for me. Wide receivers I'm staying neutral on, but I think they're going to probably be pretty good. I just think it's too much for me to go get them now. That's Jerry Judy. He's in that category by himself, and probably Chase Claypool. Um, he's now probably good, and I'm having to reverse course on what I believed on, and I just did a video on why, on his rookie profile. I'm not looking to buy, quote-unquote, whatever that means these days, him in Dynasty. I think the cost at this point is too prohibitive because he's had such a phenomenal rookie season. But if that's not true in your league, and you like the player, and you like the way he plays, whatever your process is, I'm not again it. I'm not again it. Is that a word? Who cares? Because um, he's had a great rookie season. He was much more productive than most players ever. I think he has a top 25 ranked rookie season since 2009. And that's great. I remember Devontae Adams was around in the 80s. And that's still crossing thresholds, right? That's still good for a second round player, let alone Chase, Cl- Chase Claypool being drafted later. Um, uh, so yeah, um, Jalen Rager makes a list of players I'm definitely still in on. Has had a disappointing rookie season compared to the other players in his team. Uh, or in his draft class, but he still has an 8% target share, which, please, hopefully that increases before the end of the season. I just want to get him into double digits at least. Um, And he has been a little bit inefficient with 0.64 yards per team pass attempt. But also remember, if we go back to 2014, that was kind of true of Devontae Adams as well in terms of when you build in efficiency, it's easy to fade. Blair Andrews' work at Rotovis suggesting that efficiency leads to more volume the following year or is in a higher hit rate group to get more volume the following year is really good stuff and it's a way we can use efficiency 
but I'm always going to lean on volume, which is why I'm desperate for Rago to get in there and get some more percentage points. It also puts Donald Mooney in the Charles Johnson category. He's been inefficient, but he's currently got like a 15% target share in Chicago, and I did like his rookie profile from college, something I wasn't able to say about Charles Johnson at the time because I hadn't, I couldn't really see his stats. So Donald Mooney makes my, I think I'm still interested. Also, because of the expectations for draft round, I really like Brian Edwards and I really like Tyler Johnson still. They both have had basically nothing rookie seasons, but because of where they're drafted, they're kind of protected from that. You can't expect too much of it, even in the context of a historic class. And again, the ballads of Charles Johnson and Devontae Adams tell us that we should still be aware of their college profiles. And the the ballads of um, Sammy Watkins tells us not to overweight it too far just because of a great rookie class. And also, and why Charles Johnson is my central theme here, for players like Donald Mooney, for players like Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards, a lot depends on what the team does from this point. If they get lucky, because at this point I just consider NFL teams lucky when they draft Stefan Diggs, T.Y. Hilton's and Adam Thielen's, they clearly don't care or know what they're doing. That's not true, but I'm going to say it. Um, but if they get better players who are able to create more opportunity than Donald Mooney or than Brian Edwards and than Tyler Johnson, they, they might have a rough future ahead. But they're nothing rookie seasons not con- don't concern me at all. That's where I can still rely on rookie profiles. Because I don't know if Charles Johnson was... He wasn't bad in the NFL. He was actually significantly good compared to where he was drafted compared to most. But by good and bad, I typically mean good for fantasy and bad for fantasy. And drafting him as 11th sophomore wide receiver overall in 2015 didn't work out. That was a sixth round pick that just... They just got burnt in startups this year. So while I'm advocating for the Donald Moonies and the and the uh, the KJ Hamlers and the Brian Edwards and the Tyler Johnsons of this year, keep Charles Johnson in mind for both reasons because it can work out, but also they could just be good and it never happened. All right, I think that's the episode, right? Nah, I've probably got lots more to say, but I'm getting out of here. Um, I hope that was interesting. I hope I reminded you of a player that you're like, oh yeah, I remember liking Charles Johnson, because, you know what, that, that's just fun. I enjoyed seeing his name again. I really did. It brought a smile to my face, and looking at spreadsheets, you don't often find yourself smiling. So that, that was a fun experience. Anyway, I um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Sorry it's a little late, even though you literally didn't, didn't know that, and I should stop mentioning it. Um, and I will see you again next week. I'm going on the open bar tonight, actually, I think, since it's Tuesday. Um, so check that out, too, with Gabe Gearing and J. Mike Check. Appreciate you guys. Hope you're winning leagues. Hope you're going to do your playoffs. And if not, I hope you're doing lots of fun, cool dynasty moves, even though they don't let us trade until they're finished with their damn playoffs. Not in a lot of playoffs. I am in the Scott Fishball playoff, and now just now I'm just talking, so I'm out of here. Thanks again, guys. Um, talk to you next week. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. 
picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.